Hey church, this is Jonathan Brocious. Thanks for joining us today. Let's pray together. The Lord's deeds are great, eagerly awaited by all who desire them. Psalm 111 verse 2. I've talked a lot about how I was homeschooled. I've discussed the social adjustment once I went to college, but there were other adjustments as well. One of the adjustments I had to make was learning in a classroom setting. I know how to learn. I knew how to learn. Homeschooling was very effective at teaching me to find information, digest it, and use it. But the classroom was a new experience. I've discovered that the key to classroom success was not in how well I learned. It wasn't in how much information I could process or spit back out on a test. Instead, classroom success was purely determined by the professor. A bad professor, I learned, could take any subject and ruin it. I remember the first bad grade that I got in college. The project was to make a world map. I was to label certain countries. Each letter had to be a certain size. Different countries had to be outlined in different colors, etc. I worked for hours on my map, then submitted it. I went to my mailbox and got the assignment back a week later. A student grader had written D- on the map. I was furious. I stomped over to the garbage can in the student center and crumpled the map and threw it away. Another bad grade I had was when I had to take an essay test for a class called Social Movements. The professor would stand in front of a group of 100 students and deliver a meandering speech. I had no idea what we were supposed to be learning. He was an old man and his thoughts weren't super coherent. So when it came time for the essay, I did the best I could to say all the points that he seemed to emphasize. Evidently, it wasn't enough. Another D. Those experiences made me angry because I felt like there was no way to win. My world map wasn't graded upon my geography knowledge. Instead, it was based on my ability to write really small letters neatly. My social movements essay was based on how well I was able to remember random stories from a professor. Those professors didn't take a personal interest in me. They outsourced their grading to other students. They didn't care about my success, and I didn't particularly care for them or their classes. Dr. Baker was another professor I had. Dr. Baker was tough. Dr. Baker taught a lot of classes in my major, so I saw a lot of him, and he demanded a lot from us. I remember the first paper that I got back from Dr. Baker. It had red ink everywhere. It was a good thing he requested that we double space our papers because he filled all the space with his own pen. He would underline sentences, say whether he agreed or disagreed, and why. As I looked at that first paper, my stomach flip-flopped. I was sure I had failed. I read through his comments and then flipped through the last page. Good points, good supporting arguments, A-. I had gotten an A-. Each of those red ink marks was not points off. It was simply Dr. Baker engaging with my paper. In that moment, Dr. Baker won my respect. I realized that he had actually read my paper, and he didn't just speed read it to see if he could fail me. Instead, he actually took my thoughts and digested them. I knew from that moment on, when I sat down to write a paper, he would give me the respect of reading it. It made me work harder. When I had a problem, I could ask to visit him. I'd squeeze in between stacks of paper and sit down. We'd spend hours discussing my confusion on an issue. Lots of students had trouble getting good grades in his class, and it wasn't easy. His standard was high, but I knew where his standard was. It was easier for me to jump over it when I knew where the standard was. Psalm 111 makes the same case for God. The first half of the psalm is gushing with praise about how many amazing things God has done. It talks about how he's provided food, he's kept promises, he's merciful and compassionate. The psalm uses many different words to talk about all the things God has done, his deeds, his works, the amazing things he's done, his acts. 
Then halfway through the poem, the author switches topics a little bit. He starts talking about how God's rules are firm and they should be carried out. We should observe our part of his promises. We should obey him and we should carry out his ways. The implication is clear. God is so good. Why would we not want to do what he asks? After all the ways that he's provided for us, rescued us from evil, and made us his people, why wouldn't we obey him? The author is making the case that we should obey God out of trust in him. Trust and obedience are closely linked. Fear can make us obey for a little while, but it wears off. Before long, we are looking over our shoulder to see if we can get away with something. But trust and respect drive long-term obedience. When I was in my social movements class, I didn't feel like the professor really cared about me. I did the bare minimum to get by in his class and turned in my assignments when I felt they were probably good enough. But with Dr. Baker, I worked endlessly, even on assignments I didn't enjoy. Dr. Baker cared about me. He was watching me. He was involved with me and had given me so much of his time. How could I not? I wanted to please him. It's the same with God. He's given us so much. He's earned our trust. He's also earned our obedience. Don't obey God just to stay out of hell. Obey God because he's your father that's given everything for you. Let's pray. Dear Father, I praise you for your great works. I know that you have provided for me. You've watched over me since I was a little child. You've taken care of me as I've grown up and become a man. I've seen you do amazing things in my life. You have kept every promise that you've ever made. And because of this, I choose to follow you. I want to live a life that is obedient. I choose to submit to what you think is best. I surrender my own ideas of what is good and right, and I choose to walk with you. A couple questions as we wrap up today. Number one, when you choose to obey, do you tend to do it because of fear or trust? Number two, who is someone in your life that has that authority that you trust? Number three, how can you begin to look at obeying God as an act of trust in your life. Thanks for praying with me. We'll see you next time.